A week or two ago, we were talking about when Jesus uses parables, right? And a parable is basically just a little story that Jesus will use to help explain what he's talking about, okay? And so when Jesus uses these parables, he would use everyday examples, things that people would see on a regular basis. So the last one that we talked about was the sower of the seeds, you remember? And and we talked about how the sower, people would have been very familiar with this. They would see it every day. They would probably even do it themselves, all right? So it's basically a farming scenario, okay? And so the farmer, the sower of the seed, would have a sack over his shoulder, and he would reach into this sack and grab a handful of seed, and he would just kind of toss this, this seed out, scattering it, Okay? And nowadays we got all this machinery and equipment and high-tech stuff and every row is straight and the perfect distance apart from each other and each seed is the perfect distance apart and, and all these things. But back then it wasn't like that and many places of the world it's not like that. And we spoke about Guatemala, it's not like that, you know. And so they'll, they'll scatter the seed and then some fell here, you know, some fell along the path, some fell along rocks. Some fell among thorns, right? And, and then some fell. And none of those seeds lasted, right? None of those seeds got to the point to where it could produce fruit. The ones that fell on the path were picked up by the birds right away, all right? The ones that fell among the rocks sprouted up right away because they, there was no soil. But when the sun came out, it scorched it and they died. Some fell among the thorns where the seeds began to grow, but as the seeds began to grow, so did the the thorns, and it choked them out, okay? And we talked a little about, we spent some time on the one where the seeds were choked out by the thorns, right? And the thorns represented the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, Okay? And how some people will get started in the faith. They will be excited. They'll receive it with joy. But when the worries of life, other things become more important. And so those things begin to take the place of God in their lives. And so pretty soon you don't see them at church. Pretty soon you don't see them exercising their faith. They don't pray. They don't read the Word of God. They're busy doing other things instead of making time for their faith. All right? When that happens, bad things follow. All right? And so this time, we're going to go a little farther. We're going to read in Matthew, if you want to turn there with me, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. So let's, let's turn there. If you have your Bibles today, feel glad. If you, ha- if you don't have your Bibles today, feel sad. You know. <laughs> If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we can get one for you. You let us know. Matthew chapter 13, 31 through 35. Okay. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like 
So Jesus is trying to explain the kingdom of heaven, all right? Now, nobody has ever seen heaven, okay? And so Jesus is trying to explain to them. Now, notice he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Now, people that would have been around him would have been very familiar with the term kingdom, all right? They have seen kings. They have experienced kings and empires and things like this, all right? Specifically, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, and so on and so forth, all right? But Jesus is trying to explain a new kingdom, all right? A heavenly kingdom, a kingdom that is not led by soldiers in warfare as in other kingdoms, all right? And so Jesus is trying to explain to these people that were around, that would come to hear him, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so in verse 31, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. All right. And so this is the example that Jesus gives to help explain the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's important to notice and to understand that back in those days, the mustard seeds were a little bit different even in that part of the world. Um, in Palestine, in, in Israel, the mustard plant uh, was different than the one that we know, that we are familiar with. When you spoke of a mustard seed back then, it represented a tiny thing to the Jewish mind, all right? So when Jesus would have said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, immediately they're thinking tiny, all right? Because, and he says there that it's one of the tiniest of seeds that you will plant, okay? But he says later on, it grows to where it's one of the biggest, okay? And so we need to understand that it's not necessarily about Seasoning, it's not about mustard, okay? It's really about the size here he's talking. So the kingdom of heaven, this heavenly kingdom, is like small. It's small. Well, why would Jesus be wanting people to understand the kingdom of heaven as being small? Well, he says that it starts out as the smallest of all seeds, yet... When it grows, it becomes the biggest, okay? So now do you see the correlation, what he is trying to do? The kingdom of heaven was, was small to begin with. Now, you may have be familiar with the, the disciples that followed Jesus, the apostles. There was 12 of them, right? And these 12, Jesus taught for three and a half years. And then after he gave himself on the cross, they were the ones that were going to continue the church, okay? So when Jesus is representing, he's, he's giving an example that the kingdom of heaven is going to start small, but it's going to grow to be the biggest, okay? And so he's 
in the Jewish mind of that day, that is the thing that they are going to be understanding. And he is pointing out that it's got, in a sense, the smallest of beginnings. But yet, over time, and look where, what we see today. These 12 people that were trained by Jesus have transformed the world. Have transformed the world. I think in my own life how a seemingly small event at youth group years ago. We have youth group every Wednesday night now. And there's 20-some kids in there. It was at one of those youth group events in a small home right down in Alabama Center that I gave my heart to Jesus. And from that time on, God has been working in my life. He has been gently trimming off the branches in my life that don't produce fruit or that produce bad fruit. And he's pruning the branches that bear fruit. Okay, even now. And so through these years, God has been shaping me to be something useful to him. God has been shaping me to be something that will produce fruit for him. Okay? And as we talked the other week, these seeds, the whole, the whole meaning of it all, of these seeds, was to do what? Produce fruit, right? And three of the examples did not produce any fruit, but the fruit, the seed that fell on the good soil, well, that seed produced a whole crop, a whole harvest. And that's God's desire for us, that we produce fruit, we're not talking apples and oranges and peaches and stuff like that, right? Well, what kind of fruit are we talking about? Well, can we have um, Galatians 5, verse 22 come up? We talk about the fruits of the Spirit. In our lives, God wants us to produce fruit in our lives. And we're not talking physical fruit. We're talking spiritual fruit, all right? Things such as love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. These are the things that God wants to produce in our lives. Okay? And I think of how through these years, these 35, 40 years since that time when I gave my heart to Jesus, to how God has shaped me, trained me, guided me, corrected me, yeah, and even disciplined me at times to shape me into the person, the man that I am today. Some things I'm not proud of. Some things I'm not proud of. Even though I'm a pastor, I'm fallible. I'm a man. I'm human. God knows that. But he has taken those things and he has shaped them into the man that I am today. 
into something that he can use for his glory. Does that make sense? And so I wonder, in your lives, is there a day that you bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there a day that you received him as your Lord and Savior? A day that you believed on him? The Bible says that to those who received him, to them that believed, he gave them the right to become what? Children of God. (laughs) He gave them the right. Do you know that it takes a right to become a child of God? We're not all children of God. That term is used very loosely today. All right? But we're not all children of God. There's something that we have to do to become a child of God, and that is to receive and to believe. That's what the Bible says, okay? There is a story, a true story, and you can look it up, about a man named Telemachus. Have you ever heard the story of Telemachus? Telemachus was a a monk of sorts. He lived a life almost similar to a hermit, I would suspect. And in the year 391 A.D., God told him to go to Rome. Okay? And so this monk went to Rome. It took him a few weeks to get there. But when he got there, there was a big commotion going on. Do you have any idea what the commotion would have been? Thousands upon thousands of people would gather into this one place to see something happening. Well, the gladiator battles would go on. Yeah, coliseums and amphitheaters and things like that. Well, Telemachus showed up at one of these gladiator battles. Oftentimes, Christians would be thrown in there. Okay? And so he's in the crowd of 85,000 people in this big, massive amphitheater, and he's seeing these people fight to the death. Why would they do that? Because it was entertainment for everyone else. And so people were dying, innocent people were dying so that everybody else could get their enjoyment. All right? Now, some of you may have watched UFC or boxing or something like that, something that's really, you know, brutal. That's some brutal stuff. I can't help it. I I like it. But anyways... um, These people were fighting to the death, all right? And so Telemachus, he sees that, and his heart is grieved, and he jumps down over the wall into, into the theater, into the foreground where these guys are fighting. And he goes up to them, and he's holding on to them, and he's saying, in Christ's name, stop! 
And he's yelling at them, and they throw him off. In the name of Christ, stop, he would yell. And he'd try to get between them, and he'd push them away, and they'd throw him out of the way. And pretty soon, the crowds are getting involved. Get him out of there! Get him out of there! Who is this guy? And he just kept saying, in the name of Christ, stop it! Stop this senseless killing! But the people wanted their blood. The crowds and the prefect became angry. And the prefect ordered that Telemachus be run through. And the people in the stands began to throw their stones at Telemachus, this man of peace, this man of God. Telemachus, a peaceful, godly man, died there in front of 85,000 onlookers. And the whole place, listen now, the whole place, when they recognized what kind of man he was, the whole place fell silent. 85,000 people. And everyone left in silence. Everyone left in silence at the death of this man. His death and his sacrifice would lead a short time after to the emperor calling for an end and a empire-wide ban on fighting to the death gladiator fights. So his death, because of what God told him to do, his sacrifice changed an empire. Changed an empire. This seemingly small, peaceful man stood there in front of 85,000 people, knowing that he was probably going to die. He changed a whole empire. He changed how many lives, I wonder, did he save by his act of bravery? Think about that. No more death for entertainment. Emperor Honorius would issue his ban on gladiatorial fights. One man's voice, one man's obedience, one man's sacrifice changed this whole empire. Isn't that interesting? Who knows? Maybe God wants to change an empire by someone here today. Maybe he's going to use you. Maybe not an empire. Maybe it just might be something as simple as your family by your act of obedience to God. Well, what act of obedience? What, what does God want me to do? God wants you to come to him. God wants you to give your life to him. God wants you to receive him.
God wants you to believe on Him. Have you received Jesus today? Have you received Jesus as the Lord of your life, your Savior? That saves you. What what am I being saved from? I'm okay. I'm strong. I, I don't need anybody to save me. Well, your sin, our sin, causes us It's like it's a big chasm between us and God. And our sin makes that chasm grow farther and farther us from God. And what Jesus did provides the cleansing that we need from our sins, washes us clean of our sins so that we can once again be placed in right standing before God. And all that we need to do is say yes to Jesus. I wonder if like Telemachus, God is wanting to use you to do something. Maybe in your workplace. Maybe in your family. Maybe in your community. Maybe here at church. Maybe in your school. The kingdom of God starts small and it grows to something great. Do you see the connection here? What Jesus was saying is like a mustard seed and immediately in people's minds they think, oh, I know what a mustard seed looks like, okay? I know how small it is. And he's saying, but you also know how big that seed grows and it affects everyone around it. All right? Even the birds come to, to, to light in its branches in this mustard tree. Well, the kingdom of God affects people. The kingdom of God saves people. It gives shelter for people. Later on in Acts chapter 17, verse 6. It says, These men who have turned the world upside down have now come here to us. Do you recognize what's happening? People are seeing the change that these godly people are making in their communities, in the surrounding areas. People are noticing The kingdom of God starts small, but it grows immensely, touching person after person, people after people, all around us, all across the world. And you know what? It doesn't doesn't just touch people, it changes people. It transforms people. It transforms people. It gives people Purpose. Do you have purpose today? Do you have purpose? The kingdom of God begins small, but it grows and it affects the whole world. It also says that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, 
The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of that. Doesn't that sound like it's like almost like fighting? All right, listen. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. Isn't that interesting? But you know what? It's not talking about fighting. It's not talking about crusades. It's not talking about wars. It's talking about people that are desperate for God. Do you see that? When I read this and I did some research on it, understanding it just hit me hard. It's not talking about wars and weapons. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about peace, people that are desperate for God. They recognize their need for God, and they want it no matter what it takes. And there's a scripture in Matthew, right where we're reading, it talks about the pearl, a pearl that a man was walking through a field that was not his, and he sees, he finds this, this pearl. There's a piece, a treasure on this land. And so what does he do? Well, he goes, and he, he doesn't have much money, so he sells everything that he has to come back and buy this piece of property, because Why? He knows that there's a pearl of great price. He knows there's treasure on that property that's worth more than everything that he has all put together. He knows that what he's finding is worth more than everything else. And that's the way it is, friends, with the kingdom of God. When you understand the kingdom of God, when you recognize its worth and its value in your life, In the lives of those that you love, you understand that it's nothing if you were to just have to get rid of everything in order to lay hold of Christ Jesus the Lord. It's worth that much. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about Alabama full gospel. I'm talking about relationship with Christ the Lord. That is the thing that's worth more than anything else. That is the thing. The Bible says that those who would come after me must do what? They must count the cost. They must count the cost. They, that means you see what it's going to cost you, and then you make the decision, yes or no. Do you see? Those that would come after me must count the cost. They must take up their cross and follow me. What is your cross? What is your cross? What is something that you may have to give up in order to lay hold of Christ the Lord? You know what? It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is, because what you're gaining when you gain the kingdom of God is worth far more than anything else. Do you understand? It's like that man that found that treasure in that property. He went and he sold everything he had just to get that property. 
because he knows that the treasure is worth more than anything. The kingdom of God is that treasure. It's not about wars. It's not about weapons. It's, it's about recognizing what you're getting. It's about people that are prepared to make an effort to get into the kingdom of God as if they were storming a city. Yeah? We're talking a lot about veterans today and honoring them, and rightly so. Many of them have sacrificed greatly. And in some of these wars, there were movements, pressures on a city. They were storming a city in order to take that ground for the cause. And it's as if people recognize the importance of the kingdom in their own lives. And they want it, and they're going to take it whatever it costs. Do you understand? That is the value of the kingdom of God. It's about people who are committed and zealous and desperate for God. That's what we're talking about. Would you stand with me today? Christianity is just so different than other religions. The Bible says that there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. All right? And other difference is that we have relationship with our God. And all through the Bible, that's what God wants. In every story, in every good story, every bad story, uh, I think, you know, bad things happen and good things happen. In all these stories, God is showing His love for mankind. His great love for us. Remember the two lenses with which we need to read the Word, right? God's great love for mankind, right? And then community. God speaks to us as a body, as a community. And then from there, we can see our own responsibilities. Are you passionate for the kingdom of God? Are you, do you recognize the importance of it in your own lives. I want to give you an opportunity today to receive, as the Bible says, to believe and to receive. And I, I just want you to stay right where you are this morning. All right? I, would you close your eyes today? Everybody close your eyes. And what I want you to do is, as we're praying here and talking if you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand. Okay? I don't, you don't need to be afraid. It's just us. We're family here. But all eyes are closed. Every eye is closed. I just want you to slip up your hand if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Okay? We're going to say a prayer here today. And if you feel inclined 
If you feel God is moving in your heart, then you can repeat that prayer after me, okay? And I'm just giving you words as a guide, all right? There's no 12-step program. There's no piece of paper that you're going to get, okay? But this is biblical, what we're doing here. To them that believed on him and received him, to them he gave the right to, to become children of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want you to speak those words out loud, okay? Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a Savior. And I know that you sent your only Son to give himself as a sacrifice for my sin. And when he died on the cross... He took my sin with him. And that if I receive what he did on that cross, then I am free from my sin. Today, I receive what he did as payment for my sin. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. That he is my Savior. And I receive him today. Help me to live my life in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That may be and probably is the most important prayer you will ever pray in your life. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you just come up and let me know? I want to make sure that you can uh, move on from this place and that you can grow and produce fruit in your life.